Bible this morning? Good. Ephesians chapter 6 is where you need to go. Ephesians chapter 6. Last week, we wrapped up our talk about the armor of God, uh, the specific armor of God. I want us to remember some things that we've talked about several times. One is that we are in a very real fight. Uh, It's not a playground. It's not a walk in the park. This life that we're living, it is a war. And we need to treat it like a war. We need to recognize that we are in a war. We need to also recognize that this fight is against a real and really powerful enemy. He's not a joke. Satan is not a joke. He's not a toy. He's not a puppy. He is a very real and very powerful enemy. He has influence. He has practice. He has world systems and powerful individuals and demons that do his bidding. And he is stronger than we are. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to admit that. We don't need to go into this battle thinking that we are a match for him. We are not. We are not. He is stronger than we are. But the Lord is stronger than he is. Right, And so we fight, not in our strength, but in the Lord's strength, which is way stronger than Satan's, right? If we are no match for Satan, Satan is also no match for the Lord, right? The Lord who created him, the Lord who restrains him, the Lord who will one day cast him away forever and ever, right? And so we fight not with our strength, we fight with the Lord's strength and in his armor. And we talked about that armor, right? We talked about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel shoes and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. And we must remember that victory belongs to the Lord. And he gives it to us, he shares it with us by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So put on the armor and never take it off. We're not going to talk directly about the armor today, but that doesn't mean, since we're moving on in the text and we're moving on in our study, that we just forget about it, right? I think there's a tendency in studying the way we do is we have this talk and this emphasis about the armor of God, and man, I I think those are three really good weeks. They were really good for me to learn about the battle and learn about the armor and study those things so closely. It was so good for me. And there's a tendency in my own life to just kind of move on past those things. All right, armor's in the rear view. Now we're going to talk about prayer. Let's, let's think only about prayer. That's not the way it's supposed to work. All of this is supposed to build upon one week, one week building upon the next, and then the next, and then the next. We don't want to forget about any part of God's word, do we? So we put the armor on, we never take it off, and we're not going to take it off today. Today, we're going to make a bit of transition from the armor of God into a talk about prayer, and it is brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant the way Paul makes this transition, because he doesn't move necessarily away from the armor. He's not going to talk about military language anymore, but clearly it's still the context that he's, that he's speaking into. We need prayer because we're in the midst of this battle, and we will talk about the role of prayer uh, in that battle. I want to read to you uh, a section of a commentary on the book of Ephesians that I thought was dynamite. This guy starts out by referencing uh, verses 10 to 17, all the talk about the enemy and the armor, and he says this, everything about that section says action. As he readies himself, he adjusts his war belt. His heart pounds under his breastplate so that it almost rings. He scuffs at the earth like a football player with his nail-studded boots, testing his traction. He repeatedly draws this great shield across his body in anticipation of the fiery barrages to come. Reflexively, he reaches up and repositions his helmet. He gingerly tests the edge of his blade. The enemy approaches. A thousand swords ring from their scabbards in dreadful symphony. The warriors stand motionless, breathing heavily. And then the Christian soldier does the most amazing thing. He falls to his knees in deep, profound prayer to be sure there will be action he will rise and his steel will flash but all will be done in prayer for prayer is primary 
This is the precise form of the Ephesian picture. For after the Christian warrior's armament is in place, we read, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Those who would engage in spiritual warfare, regardless of how, where, how well they wear the truth and righteousness and faith and salvation, regardless of how well they are grounded in peace, regardless of how well they wield the word, must take prayer and make it the first thing. The Christian soldier fights on his knees. As Edward Payson said, prayer is the first thing, the second thing, and the third thing necessary to minister. Pray, therefore, my dear brother, pray, pray, pray. So there is a link. There is a link between what we have talked about in the armor of God and the battle that we face and prayer. So read with me in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 10 and read through verse 20 today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change, in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray together. God, we are, as always, thankful for this gathering. As always, we are thankful for your word. As always, we are thankful for your presence in this place. And we ask now that you would speak to us, that you would teach us, that you would grow us in the discipline of prayer, God, that we would be warriors who fight on our knees, that we would in everything at all times be in communication with you in prayer. God, I pray that you teach us today the impact of prayerlessness when we neglect prayer, when we neglect communication with you. God, teach us the damaging impact that has on our lives. And God, I pray today, pray today that you call us to pray. And I know, I know there are people in this room who cannot pray. They cannot pray because they don't have a relationship with you. They are far from you, disconnected from you, separated from you because of their sin. God, I pray today that, that you would bridge that gap. You would convict them of sin, convince them of your love and your grace and your sacrifice on their behalf. And show them Jesus dying for their sins. Rising victorious over all that would hold them captive. God, I pray today that there would be folks in this room who prayed for the first time today, a prayer of confession, a prayer of repentance, a 
in submission to you for salvation. God, help us as we study today and as we respond as we leave this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so in, in studying this passage and knowing that, that these three verses right here uh, are about prayer, I dug in a little bit and uh, realized that we can't do these three verses all in one week. It's too rich for that, so we're going to have to break it into two weeks. This week, we're only going to talk about one verse of Scripture. I shared that with my Sunday school class this morning, and they say, wow, that must be some kind of verse. And indeed, it is. Uh, it is some kind of verse, and it is so full of instruction for us. One commentator said, there is no single verse of scripture that is more instructive than this one in the entire Bible on the subject of prayer. Uh, this is not the only, the only text of scripture that is about prayer, but this is the most concise, full teaching about prayer in all of the scripture. So before we get into it, I want us to link verse 18 with verses 10 to 17. I want us to see uh, that although Paul is is making transition, he's continuing on in this context. He's not going to refer to prayer as a weapon in the armor of God, but he is going to talk about it in a military context. You see, we couldn't have a talk about spiritual warfare without also talking about prayer, right? If we were going to talk about this spiritual battle that we are were, we were in and all the resources that are at our disposal in that battle, and we left prayer out, you would think, something's missing here, right? Uh, when we talk about these kind of things, prayer naturally is a result. We want to always be thinking about prayer. So the connection is this. Prayer is the manner in which the armor is put on and worn. We want to see prayer kind of as an umbrella over all that we've been talking about in the armor of God. Prayer is the atmosphere of the Christian life. Prayer is the all-embracing, constant characteristic of a soldier. Just like when we talk about putting on the armor and never taking it off, we also pray and we never stop praying. It's not as if we pray at these certain times and seasons and then forget about it. Prayer, one scholar said, is our secret weapon because it goes unnamed. Everything else that we have at our disposal, righteousness and salvation and peace and the gospel, all of those are directly linked with an actual piece of armor, but this one is kept a secret. And he said it's like our, our best secret weapon. We don't even want to talk about it, but when it comes out, you will know it, right? So prayer is important. Prayer is our secret weapon. One fellow said this. He said, you and I can be clothed in all the armor, all the armor of God, and yet fail to triumph because we do not call upon God. We do not call upon him in prayer. And that reaches back to verse 10 when he said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Part of how that happens is in prayer. Another man said, many Christians can trace the secret of a defeated life to prayerlessness. Prayer in Ephesians is the closing theme. We're going to learn a lot about prayer. We are going to hopefully pray a lot as we close out our study of Ephesians. But it's not just the closing theme of Ephesians. It's also the opening theme of Ephesians. Go back to chapter 1 and look at verse 15. Paul closes this letter to the church at Ephesus with prayer. He also opened the letter with a talk about prayer. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 says... For this reason, too, I, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? 
These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul, in the opening verses of this letter, in the opening sentences of this letter, voices a prayer for the church at Ephesus. So it's the closing theme, it is the opening theme, and it is also the middle theme of the book of Ephesians. Look at chapter 3, starting in verse 14. How many chapters are there? Six. So we've got prayer in chapter 1, we've got prayer in chapter 6, we've also got prayer in chapter 3. This is significant, right? This is significant that he doesn't just mention prayer and then move on. Paul is always talking to the church at Ephesus about prayer, and he is always praying for them. Look at this prayer in chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. There is a lot for us to learn about prayer from the book of Ephesians. Paul is constantly praying for the church, constantly calling the church to prayer. And that's what he does here at the end of this letter in chapter 6, verse 18. I want you to notice in that verse that he uses the word all four times. Some of your translations will have it a little differently. They'll have it combined with a word. Uh, New American Standard actually uses the, the actual word all four different times. There are clearly four all-encompassing thoughts that are going on here. And we want to talk about those. We want to talk about those alls. But we also want to acknowledge that there are some Christians who don't know anything about all prayer. They know about some prayer. And they would read this verse and not say, with all prayer. They would say, with some prayer and petition, pray at some times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with some perseverance and petition for some of the saints. We don't want to be that group. We don't want to be some prayers. We want to be all prayers. Does that make sense? So we're going to talk about those four things. And we're going to start with the key, the central command in this text. It's not in the actual word order. It's in the emphasis, the first the first statement he makes is that we would pray at all times in the spirit, that we would pray at all times in the spirit. And so we're going to talk about that first and then talk about the other three as they qualify that. So first, let's talk about what it means to pray at all times. Does Paul mean by that when he says you should pray at all times in the spirit? Does he mean by that that we should be in prayer every second of every day, that we should be in conscious prayer every second of every day, no matter what we're doing? Well, maybe, probably not. There may be a sense in which Paul is saying, hey, listen, yeah, all the time, no matter what's going on, at every second of every day, you need to be in an attitude of prayer. In fact, Billy Graham talks about this. It's really interesting. He talks about being able to work in different levels of his awareness or his consciousness, and, and one of those layers he talks about is, is always in prayer. So the picture is this. He can be driving down the road and alert and awake to the road. Thank God for that, right? Um, 
that he's alert and awake and aware of what's going on in the road. But at the same time, in a deeper level of his awareness, he is in communication with God. Does that make sense to you? And maybe we can develop, maybe we can develop a discipline like that, where if I'm teaching school, I'm at the same time in prayer. If I'm preaching the gospel, I'm at the same time in prayer. If I'm driving down the street, I'm at the same time in prayer. That would be a great thing, right? That would be a wonderful thing, and maybe we should develop that. But I don't know that that's necessarily what he means by using these words. I think probably what he means is in all kinds of times. Probably what he means is not in every second of every day, but in all kinds of times, in all kinds of hours that you face. Maybe the best way to explain this is to ask you a question. When do most people pray? When do most people pray? When things are going bad, okay, in the midst of some kind of crisis, yeah, that happens. People pray during those times. When else do most people pray? Bedtime? Yeah, maybe a certain time of the day. They wake up or they lay down at that certain time of the day. Caden? Before they eat? Excellent. Excellent. When else do people pray? Maybe when things are going really well, right? What I'm getting at is that most of us pray at major events, major events or extreme circumstances. In those times we pray. And what Paul is getting at is that we need to be praying all the time in the big things and the little things. We don't just need to let the big things in our life drive us to prayer. We need to let all things in our lives drive us to prayer. Is that making sense to you? So pray at all times in the spirit. I read a story this week about a missionary uh, who had developed a, a, a very a very consistent discipline of prayer in his life. In fact, nearly everything he did before he did it, he said a prayer. And as he got up into age, he had to go to the DMV and take the driving test again. So he's like a 75, 80-year-old man who goes to the DMV and he's getting ready to take the driver's test, the actual driving test, and the instructor is sitting next to him and he looks over and this missionary is slumped over, his head bowed, and, and, the, and the instructor says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm praying. And the instructor says, oh boy, this has never happened before. You get the picture? This guy was just doing what came naturally to him. It was something that he was getting ready to do. It was a transition in his life, so he prayed. And this guy thought, oh, man, he must be a terrible driver if he's asking God to help. I'm in, for, I'm in for a real ride here. But that wasn't the point at all. The point was this man had developed a discipline of prayer at all times. And I want us to be that kind of, I want us to be that kind of church. I want us to be that kind of church that doesn't just come together in prayer when a tragedy strikes. I want us to be a church that doesn't just come together in prayer when someone leaves to go to a foreign land uh, to take the gospel to the nations. I want us to be a church that comes together all the time to pray about all kinds of things. And Wednesday night is a prime time to do that. Wednesday night is one of the sweetest times of fellowship that we have at First Baptist Church. As we come together, and at the beginning of that service every time, we get together in small groups, and sometimes it is big stuff that we talk about. Sometimes it is cancer and foreign missions and uh, divorce and, and just real crisis. And sometimes it is, man, I'm, I'm just struggling with discipline of my children, or I'm, I'm struggling in math class. And, and sometimes it's that little stuff, but it develops this good connection between us to be praying at all times. So we should be we should be praying at all times. But he doesn't just say pray at all times. He says pray at all times in the Spirit. So the question is, what does he mean by pray in the Spirit? Does it mean some kind of indistinguishable language that is just between you and God? Is that what he means by praying in the Spirit? Well, I would say probably not. I would say that's probably not what he's talking about. He has talked about that before in First and Second Corinthians. That was eons ago here at First Baptist Church, wasn't it? 
That seems like forever ago that we talked about that, but he did talk about that. And he said there is a place for that, perhaps, but it is a very private thing. And if it's to be, be between you and God, it's to be between you and God. It's not something that is to be shared. It's not something that is to be talked about. It's not profitable for anyone else is the way he talks about it. But I don't think that's what he's talking about here because he's talking about all kinds of prayer, right? He's talking about prayer at all times. If he was talking about that kind of prayer, that's clearly restricted to one certain time of private prayer just between you and the Lord. But that's not all the kinds of prayer there is, right? We pray publicly, right? And he clearly forbids that in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, no, there's not a place for that in the public meeting. That's between you and the Lord. So I don't think when he says you pray in the spirit that he's referring to some kind of indistinguishable tongue that is known only between you and the Lord. I don't think that's what he's referring to here. Rather, I think what he's meaning is that we are filled with the spirit when we pray. He says, pray in the spirit, pray at all times in the spirit. We are filled with the spirit when we pray. That means we are submitting our mind, our thoughts, our will, and our desires to the influences and the mastery of God's word. Does that make sense? It's kind of like when, when God uh, prescribes that we pray in the name of Jesus. You know that that is more than just tagging on to the end of whatever you're praying in Jesus' name, amen, right? That whole idea is a, is a posture and an attitude of submission to his will. So we pray in Jesus' name, in submission to his lordship, in deference to his authority in our lives, not us trying to put him in a headlock and get him to do what we want him to do, but rather us humbling ourselves and submitting ourselves to him. Similar, similar idea going on here when he says pray at all times in the spirit. We want to be submissive. We want to be connected. We want to be humble before him. So right off the bat, he calls us, in the midst of the battle, to pray at all times, no matter what's going on, to pray at all times in the spirit, in submission and connection and humility before him. But he goes on and he says, not only are we to pray at all times in the spirit, he says, pray with all prayer and petition. And this is interesting to me. What does he mean by pray with prayer? Pray with all prayer. Seems a little bit redundant to me, but when we read about it and when we study the life of Jesus, we recognize that there are several kinds of prayer, right? Just in the life of Jesus, we see him praying in different ways. Sometimes he goes off by himself to pray. Where have we seen that? In the Garden of Gethsemane, right? We see him try to do that several times in his ministry. He tries to get away and spend some time with the Father. So we see him in private prayer. We see him in agonizing prayer. We see him sometimes in joyful prayer, right? We see him in all different kinds of prayers. Sometimes we see him in public prayer. When he comes to Lazarus' tomb, his friend has died. He prays to God. He prays to his father and he says, Father, I'm praying to you out loud so that they can hear me. <laughs> so that they can hear me and they can know that you're about to do something good. So he has private prayer and he has public prayer. He has joyful prayer and he has sad prayer. And I think there are all kinds of prayers uh, that we need to pray. One preacher gave this list of the variety of prayer that we see in the Bible. He says there is public prayer and private prayer. There are loud cries and soft whispers and silent prayer. There is deliberate and planned prayer, and there is spontaneous prayer. There is prayer that is sitting, standing, kneeling, lying down. There is prayer at home. There is prayer in the church. There is prayer while we work. There is prayer while we travel. There is prayer with our hands folded. There is prayer with our hands raised. There is prayer with our eyes open. There is prayer with our eyes closed. There is prayer with our head bowed. There is prayer with our head upright. Point is, there's all kinds of prayer, right? And we can get ourselves into a rut of one kind of prayer. One kind of prayer. Maybe we always pray with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and we always pray 
with sadness over a physical burden that someone has. Maybe that's the extent of the variety of our prayer lives. And I think what I'm going to encourage you today from God's word is have some variety in your prayer life. Mix it up a little bit. There is a lot of kinds of prayer for us to enjoy as we communicate with God. So mix it up a little bit. We talk sometimes here when we talk about prayer, about different types of prayer by using an acronym ACTS. Have you ever heard that before? I've taught this mostly on Wednesday nights. ACTS, different kinds of prayer that we need to pray. A being adoration. This is when we come to God and we just say, God, you're so great. You're so beautiful. You're so lovely. Hallowed be your name. You are mighty. You are strong. You are holy. This is when we come in prayer. And we, a lot of times, refer to this as worship. But worship is a kind of prayer, right, where we are communicating certain things to God. We are ascribing to him worth and value. We are telling him how great he is. And we do that in prayer, right? And that needs to be a part of our prayer lives where we come to him and we say, oh, you're so great. You are so mighty and you are so wonderful. Adoration is one kind of prayer. Confession is another kind of prayer where we come to God and we say, you are so lovely and I am not. I am not. I am dirty. I am wretched. I am sinful. And we need to be confessing our sins to the Lord. Not just one time when we were converted, but regularly confessing our sins to the Lord and not just generally confessing our sins to the Lord. We may do it generally when we are leading in corporate prayer, but when we are in private prayer with the Lord, we should not just say, God, forgive me for my many sins. No, list them. List them in detail. Talk to him about your sin. Admit those specific actions, those specific thoughts those specific attitudes, admit those to the Lord and confess them to him. It is very important. It is very important that we are in an attitude of confession when we come to the Lord in prayer. So adoration, confession, you might know what the T is. Thanksgiving, we come to God and we say, God, thank you. That's a good prayer to pray, right? We teach our kids to do that. God, thank you. Thank you for all the things you've done. Thank you for all the things you're going to do. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you have sent your son to die for our sins. Thank you that you raised him from the dead. Thank you that you bridged the gap, the chasm that existed between you and me by sending your son. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It is good to say thank you to the Lord, right? Do you have any, anything to say thank you about? Yeah, yeah. We could spend all day just in prayer of thanksgiving, right? And we need to do that. So we've got adoration and confession and thanksgiving. And the last one is supplication. And this is what we normally think of when we think of prayer. This is when we come to God and we ask him for things. We ask him for things. And what I want to communicate today, and I hope that you hear my heart in this, is that our prayers of supplication need to be so much more than just prayers of physical things. That our, that our prayers of supplication and intercession for our brothers and sisters need to be so much more than mere physicality. We are great. We are great at praying for one another and praying for ourselves about material and physical things. Oh, I've got an aunt who is sick and I've got a brother who's in the hospital and I've got a job that is on the edge and I'm not sure about that. And will you pray with me about those things? And what I don't want you to hear me saying today is that those things are unimportant because those things are important and God cares about those things, right? And we should pray about those things. But we are missing out on the most important things when that's all we pray about. And I think a lot of times that is all we pray about because there are people around us who have deep spiritual needs. There are people in this room today there are people in this room today 
that if we all died in some kind of tragic accident right now, would go straight to hell. In this room, individuals who, if they died right now, would go to hell for eternity with no hope, no hope of salvation. And yet we spend the majority of our time praying about appendicitis, broken legs, jobs. What I'm saying is pray about those things, but do not neglect the greater things of this. Do not neglect the lostness in your family. Do not neglect even even believers who are really struggling. There, There are folks in this room today who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are part of the covenant people. They are his children but they are struggling in their connection with him. They are struggling in their walk with him. They are struggling with some kind of besetting sin. They are struggling, and we need to pray for them, not just for their job, not just for their body, but for their soul, for their heart. You get me? You get me here? We don't neglect those superficial things. We pray for those things, but we must not neglect the more profound things, which is what we usually do in the church. So let us pray. Let us pray and ask God in supplication and in intercession for deep, deep, eternally significant things. Prayer includes asking God for things, but it is much more than asking God for things. It's one of the things I want you to see. What if, what if your children only talked to you when they wanted something from you? As, as I wrote that, I thought, there are some people in here where that's it. That's the way they live college parents, parents of college students, hear from your kids only when they need some money, need some laundry done or something like that. It's frustrating, right? What what if the people you love the most only came to you and talked to you when they needed something from you? It's not a very good relationship, is it? With my children, I want them to come to me when they need something. I want them to feel free to come and say, Dad, I, I need I need lunch today because it, it is my joy to provide lunch for them, right? Dad, Dad, I need I need a roof over my head tonight. Oh, yeah, I'll give, I'll give that to you. And even sometimes when they want something, I want that sweatshirt, Dad. Okay. It's, it's my joy to be able to provide those things for my children. But that's not all I want our relationship to be. I want them to come to me when they've just experienced a great victory and say, Oh, Dad, listen to what happened today at school. I got an A on that test that I was so worried about. And I want to say, oh, that's fantastic. Way to go. I want them to come to me when, oh, I want my girls to come to me when some boy breaks their heart. I want them to be able to come to me with tears in their eyes and say, hurts. Because I want to be able to comfort them. I want to be able to assure them that even if that boy doesn't love them anymore, I love them. I want good things for them. I want them to come to me in all kinds of circumstances. And I think our Father wants the same thing in a greater way, in an infinitely greater way. He doesn't want us just to come to him when we need a good result from the doctor. He wants us to come to him all the time. The smile and the tears, the hearts that are full and hearts that are broken. When we're dirty, when we're dirty and messed up, he wants us to come to him to clean us up. When we're clean and on the right track, he wants us to come to him and rejoice over that. You get the point? 
prayer more than just asking God for things. So our prayer life should be a variety in our communication with Him. So He says, you pray at all times in the Spirit, you pray with all kinds of prayer and petition, and you pray on the alert with all perseverance. I think this verse, this part of the verse teaches us that prayer takes intentionality and discipline if we are going to pray as we ought. We must remember that we are in a war, and one of the most important things in the war is that we would be on the alert. One commentary said that we must pray with our eyes open. That's, that's the only comment this guy made on that part of the verse. He said, you pray with your eyes open. And what he meant by that was not physically with our eyes open. What he meant by that was spiritually with our eyes open. We don't just completely shut down when we go to the Lord in prayer. When we go to the Lord in prayer, we go to him with our eyes open, recognizing that maybe that's when the battle becomes most intense. How many of you have experienced that in your prayer life? Where you try to discipline yourself and set aside some time and go to the Lord in prayer and adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication, all kinds of variety of prayer. And in the midst of that, you just can't concentrate. You get super tired. You get extremely distracted. How many of you have experienced that in your prayer life? Yeah, you know who's behind that? Satan is behind that because he hates it. He hates it when we communicate with the Father. He hates it when we are connected with him. And so he is going to get in and try to cause as much damage as possible. I'm going to tell you about something right now in my own life that is a little bit mystical sounding. And, and I, I haven't shared this with anybody. But I get together with some guys uh, on Sunday morning sometimes and, and pray well, all the time. And, and pray in this little room back here before the service. And it is sweet. It is good. Good fellowship. Good prayer. Good connection. It is, it is super encouraging. But I have found several times lately that as I am praying with them, and we usually sit in, in a circle of sorts, and I have found several times lately when I'm praying with them that it feels like I'm moving away from them. It's, it's this weird, it's this weird supernatural feeling that I feel like I'm moving further and further away from them. And, and I don't know what all that means, but I feel like it's an attack of the enemy. Because a lot of times in the midst of prayer, I, I think, wow, this is weird. This is like in my gut. I feel like I'm moving backwards from these guys and getting further and further away from them. And I want to recognize it now because of this study that that's an attack from the devil. Because what is really happening, in fact, is that I'm moving, moving closer and closer together with these brothers of mine and closer and closer together with my father. And he hates that. He hates that. And so if he can convince me that what's really going on is I'm getting further away, then I'll be defeated in that prayer. And so I don't want that to happen. You, you catch me? What I'm saying is we need to be on the alert while we're praying because it is in prayer that Satan will attack us. Just like it's when we are in ministry, he will attack us. When we're doing, The point is when we're doing something, he'll attack us. And most of us don't know anything about the attack because we don't do anything. You got me? Some of you have never experienced anything of the impact of Satan when you're praying because you don't pray. And so we are called to be a people of prayer and prayer with alertness. Alertness. Awareness. Because Satan will attack when we pray. So he says we pray um, at all times in the spirit with all kinds of prayer and petition. On the alert with all perseverance. And then he says this. You pray with petition for all the saints. This is so important. And this serves to bind us together. Paul demonstrated this in his ministry with his commitment to pray for all the people he was ministering to. And what you need to remember about Ephesians is he's not directly connected with those folks, right? He's not directly connected with those folks. He's away from them. He's not like right there amongst them. He had an impact on their lives early on, but he's been away from them for quite some time, and yet he is continuing to constantly be praying for them. We need to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters. We need to be in prayer for all the saints. 
And we can do this for people we know very specifically. Like there are people in this room that I feel like I know pretty well. And I know what's going on in their lives and we have fellowship and we have communion with each other. And so when I go to God in prayer for them, I can be very specific. Very specific because I know them. Catch where I'm going with this? And I need to pray for them with all the specificity I can. Pray particularly for them. And I need to be praying for more than just their physical needs. I need to be praying for their spiritual life. You got this? But that's not what he says here. He doesn't just say, pray for the brothers at Ephesus. Pray for your best friends. That's certainly part of what he's getting at. But he says, you need to pray for all the saints. How can we possibly do that? How could I possibly pray for all the saints? There are billions of them I've never met. I have no idea who they are. How can I possibly pray for all the saints? Well, I'll tell you. One way is to offer up just a very generic prayer. God bless all the saints. Check. I'm obedient to this text. I think he means more than that, don't you? There are ways we can learn about other saints in other places. Let's start locally. I want to especially be in prayer for you guys because I know you guys. But I want to also be in prayer for other churches in Harrisburg. My friends, my neighbors who go to other churches in Harrisburg, other saints in Harrisburg. I know a little bit of what's going on in their lives. I know about some things that are going on in churches in Harrisburg that we can be praying about, don't you? Some good things and some bad things. And we can be in prayer for those brothers, even though we don't know them as well as we know each other. And let's move out from there. I know a lot of believers in the United States. There are churches in the United States. And we know the general condition of the church in the United States, don't we? And we can be in prayer for the church in America, can't we? With some kind of knowledge and with some kind of specificity, we can pray for the church in America, right? And what about believers who are in other places, in other nations? Well, we can learn about what's going on there, can't we? Yeah, the International Mission Board provides all kinds of resources for us to know about people groups. People groups and the underground church and things that are going on in foreign lands. And we can learn about them. And so we can spend a week or a month or a day praying about this group and then praying about that group and praying for all the saints. My point is, don't just pray for the people you know the best. Pray for them. With specific details, pray for them. But don't forget about your brothers and sisters that you're going to spend eternity with. We'll get... We'll get 80, 90 years together here, right? In this kind of communion, billions and billions of years in heaven with them. So I want to be praying for them before we get there. Paul says in this text, he says, you pray at all times. You pray in the spirit. You pray with variety. You pray on the alert. And you pray for all the saints. So here's the application. Pray. I feel like I should just put a period and send you home. Application of this text is to pray, and we should pray at all times. Every time, this is my encouragement to you, every time you transition this week, every time you move from one thing to another, pray. Pray at all times. Pray in the spirit with a posture of submission. It's about more than words, but the attitude of your heart. Pray with variety. Mix it up. If you're usually a stander, sit. If you're usually a sitter, stand. If you're usually a kneeler, do something else. Get on your face. You catch me? Even in your posture, mix it up a little bit. In your focus, mix it up a little bit. In your attitude, mix it up a little bit. Pray with variety. Pray on the alert. Keep your eyes open. Be aware Satan is going to attack. If we are going to spend this week in prayer, he will be after us. And pray for all the saints. Make a list. I was, I was hearing about one brother of mine who has uh, near his desk a list of different saints to pray for every day. Uh, a different group of people. Sometimes it's pastors and friends. Sometimes it's missionaries and, and, and uh, uh, fellow students and different things like that. But he's got a list, a disciplined list. All right, it's Monday, I'm praying for Chris. It's Tuesday, I'm praying for Joe. It's Wednesday, I'm praying for Brad. Those kind of things. Have some kind of plan. Make a list and pray for all the saints. 
The second application is that prayer, all this talk implies relationship. And I mentioned that at the beginning. There are some of you in here that cannot pray. You cannot pray. You do not have a connection with the Father through the Son. You cannot pray. You cannot go to him in adoration, thanksgiving, and supplication. You don't have a connection. But here's the good news. You can pray today for the very first time. This whole business of relationship with the Father starts with prayer. It starts with a prayer of confession. To come to him and say, God, I am a mess, and I am a sinner, and I deserve judgment and wrath for my sin. It starts with a prayer that says, I admit that I'm a sinner. It starts with a prayer that says, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that you sent him to take my place and to suffer the wrath that I deserve and to die for me. I believe that, not just in mental understanding. I'm going to rest my whole weight on that. I have faith in that. I'm resting my whole weight on Jesus. And a prayer of submission to say, you're the boss. You're the boss. I'm not. I give my life to you. And that should be quickly followed with a prayer of thanksgiving, right? If you receive the greatest gift in all the universe, in all of eternity, you should say thank you. So the whole business of relationship starts with prayer. So maybe today you pray for the first time and you go before him and you tell him what a mess you are. And you tell him about your faith in Jesus Christ and your submission to his lordship. And I believe scripture teaches clearly you'll be saved. And you'll start a relationship and you talk to him all the time after that. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you for uh, this time. You're so good to us, to speak to us, to invite us into your presence, to meet with us. We don't deserve that. We, we, deserve, we deserve to be wiped out, crushed. And yet you invite us in and you love on us and you care about us. And God, I pray for your people that you will develop our prayer life, grow us in our prayer life. Pray that we won't see it as some place we arrive at, but some uh, trajectory where we are going. And I pray for folks in this room who, who are lost, who don't, don't have a connection with you, they don't have a relationship with you. Thank you for the gospel, that you save sinners, that you redeem and forgive, and I pray that you do that today. I pray that men and women and boys and girls would respond in faith, repentance, submission to your lordship. Help us as we respond. In Christ's name we pray.